0: Welcome in to the latest five on the floor on the Five Reasons Sports Network, also on Dash Radio every day, Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. to 8 a.m. Pacific. Check out FiveReasonsSports.com. We're growing there. We're free. There's no paywall. Paywall sucks. So make sure you check out FiveReasonsSports.com. Brady Hawks putting up stories as soon as the game ends. His five takeaways and also all the highlights of the Heat pressers. Plus, we do the Marlins uh, stuff there. They acquired Starling Marte Uh, yesterday. All the Dolphins stuff with Tua Fitzpatrick and everything else uh, that we do there on the website. Also, check out our YouTube channel and our great sponsors, all of which are here local in South Florida. They're all Miami sports fans. Like you are, and one of them, our new one, is Mark Brown, PA. Now, this is a law firm that does real estate litigation and transaction stuff, commercial and residential, with a full service attorney owned title company, which can come in very, very handy. Um, when you're looking for properties, $295 closing fee on all refinances and purchases when mentioning five reasons. That's a $295 closing fee on all refinances and purchases when mentioning five reasons. They handle evictions for landlords and tenants. They also offer flat fee evictions. They've been practicing for nearly 15 years. The best way to reach Mark is 954-566-5678. Again, that's 954-566-5678. Five six seven eight. The website again, Mark. That's with a C, M A R C Brown P A. dot com. And now today's episode.
1: Welcome to Five on the Floor, a Miami Heat and NBA podcast from Ethan Skolnick with Alfon Sydney, aka Alf nine five four. Brought to you by the Five Reasons Sports Network.
0: All right, Ethan Skolnick back on five on the floor. Here's today's floor plan. I'm going to start with Greg Sylvander and with Alphonse Sidney. We're going to get you ready a little bit for game two. We're also going to do a pregame stream before the 6.30 games. That'll be around 6 o'clock on Wednesday prior to game two as the Heat take a one nothing lead into game two against Giannis. And the Bucks, but also in this episode, I had a chance to sit down for about 35-40 minutes with Frank Isola. You probably know him as someone who covered the Knicks during all those Heat Knicks years, but now he's on PTI. He's on Around the Horn. He, he's a host on SiriusXM NBA. We're going to talk about the event of the day, which was really the 25-year anniversary of Pat Riley agreeing not well, not just agreeing. He probably agreed before, but of coming to the Miami Heat for a first-round pick that ended up turning into Walter McCarty, of all things. And, of course, over the past 25 years, Riley's won three championships, made it to five finals, I believe only missed the playoffs five times. I'll have to look that up. Um, while the Knicks have been swirling the drain for about a decade. So I'm going to talk to Frank Isola about that. Before we do, though, I'm going to bring in Alf and Greg. Let's get to some of the news of the day. The big story in this series. Now, Spolstra, Nunn, and Dragic had pressers. We'll get to those. The big story in this series is the way that Giannis is being responded to around the NBA, around social media, for his comment where he didn't really understand why he was asked, why he should have had to guard or asked to guard Jimmy Butler at the end of game one. Of course, Jimmy went for 40, mostly against Chris Middleton, but also against others. Um, How did you receive that today, Greg? Kind of the way that Giannis was taken a task by other NBA players like Isaiah Thomas, of all people, on Twitter.
2: Yeah, it was loud, and I couldn't help but think that he's going to feel some level of pressure or obligation to at least – uh, slide over onto Jimmy a little bit more, particularly if Jimmy has it going. Uh, it, when you're the Defensive Player of the Year, the way and you know you're the status of Giannis, you're expected to guard the best player on the other team. So, um, uh, as left as out of left field, the question was at the time because of matchups and things like that. I think that, that when you get deeper into this series, if Jimmy is dictating stuff the way that he did in Game One, he's going to have to do some of that, and it opens up a ton of questions about how the Bucks will match up otherwise. Uh, particularly with all the three guard stuff that was talked about amongst players today as well. So um, it's going to definitely shift the series, but it it felt like it was just off one game. Giannis is already hearing people barking at him and Mm. uh, I I don't know that he's had a ton of that this year. And so it'll be interesting to see how he comes out in game two. Alf, what do you
0: make of the perception of him around the NBA? I, I get the sense sometimes that other NBA players, don't put him on quite the same pedestal that they do LeBron and maybe even Kawhi.
1: Well, you know what it feels like? It feels like, um, it feels like LeBron in Cleveland, right? Where it's darling of the league, darling of the league. And then all the eyes start focusing on him. And then you start seeing the holes in his game. And now it's about how does he respond? I think people are nitpicking him, but listen, you can't come out in a game where people are saying, you you know, if every pundit is saying you have a problem uh, against the Miami Heat, you you uh, they scheme they they scheme really well against you. You can't come out that game and have 18 points, and then wonder why people are questioning why didn't you guard the guy that was killing you down the stretch. So Giannis just isn't used to this yet. So <laughs> I think, and and the rest of the NBA has watched him ascend. Without ever having to answer any hard questions, you know, no. The Milwaukee media is notorious for asking the hard questions. <laughs> so, so he's hid. You know, he's hid in the Midwest, and he's the darling. People talk about his charity work and how great he is with kids. But now it's crunch time, and you're the best team in the league for the second year in the row. You're the second. You're the uh, league. You're league MVP for the second year in the row. No one's going to give you the Mo Williams, um, the, the, the built-in excuses of he doesn't have a team around him anymore. You, you only get that for a little while. And then everyone starts having those expectations of you. So th- we're going to see how he responds to it. And to me, that's one of the most interesting things about the series. Because if they lose in five or six to the Miami Heat of 15, mm-hmm. I mean, the entire league is coming for his neck. And then does he cut and run? and find a team and try to win or does he stick it out and you know become a punching bag
0: well and that that puts Mike Boonholzer in a really challenging position going into next year because if you can't attract elite talent this offseason then you got to look to change something and I feel like Bud may have a little bit that fall on his neck too I mean we'll see see where that goes but I I do think that Somebody's going to get blamed and Giannis will take some of it, but some of it will get deflected. But this was kind of the master plan, you know, and Riley was up there uh, for game one. The kind of the master plan was let's get the bucks in a series. Let's challenge the bucks. Let's try to beat the bucks. And at the same time, we're going to make Giannis think about his situation. They have an opportunity to do all of those things. All right, let's get to the next. Wait, do you
1: think Bud's in trouble? Because I think he's in trouble.
0: Oh, absolutely. I, I think anytime a coach, uh, Puts up that many wins in the regular season, but doesn't end up converting in the playoffs. They they're when they have a huge start,
1: they're in some trouble. And then you see the obvious things like Pat Connaughton playing way too many minutes, Marvin Williams playing too many minutes, Giannis not playing enough minutes. There are there are real questions about his rotations and about his decisions.
0: Well, I think about his adjustments is the biggest thing. And and you know, look, they're down a one. Uh, There are some things they're going to need to adjust to from game one. I I think that they made an adjustment that worked at times but not completely their adjustment was we're gonna we're gonna guard the three which is something that they haven't done a lot this season they guarded it pretty well but dragich and butler and we're gonna talk about Goron next got wherever they wanted the whole game and so ultimately although it's funny i didn't think the heat shot the three that well and i looked up and they shot 38 percent. you know on pretty high volume or decent volume so none of it worked but i wonder if bud goes back to the defense that he ran the whole season but if he hadn't, and that hadn't worked, people would say he didn't adjust. So he, he's kind of getting caught in this no-win situation now unless they win the series. I do want to get to Goran. He spoke today, uh, and I, I want to get to this because I want to claim uh, that my theory was right, even though nobody understood my theory, including myself. Uh, Goran Dragic basically acknowledged today that the reason he's playing so well is this feels like Eurobasket to him which we talked about many times, but he said basically because he's just with his, his teammates, I, you know, and he doesn't, he didn't even tell his family to come just like Jimmy. Most of the players are having their families there. He told his family to stay in Europe. He says, there's nothing for my two young kids to do here. Anyway. Um, I got the sense from Goran today that he's on a complete mission. If you haven't seen it on the court, it came through in his words today. Um, he said, this is not my first rodeo, I think Goran Dragic in the last year of his deal when he was kind of sort of traded this offseason wants to show that he's an elite guard in the NBA and so far through five games of the playoffs he is.
2: Yeah, and I mean – the contract year stuff is inevitable. Uh, that will point to some of that in terms of you know this is like the perfect moment for any impending unrestricted free agent uh, that has any sort of option or anything like that to uh, up you know their value in this type of setting because of everyone's short memories. But all that aside, he just looks like a guy that sees an opportunity. I I really think that this team is is more and more starting to uh, visualize themselves being able to actually get this thing and I know Jimmy has talked about you know we're we're a team that we we can win this year and I believe that Jimmy's going to say that uh it's another thing for the entire team to start to like take on that persona and I think Goran has really uh exhibited that in the bubble particularly in the playoffs and and the shooting and stuff obviously helps as well so um it, it's it's He's the key to the series. Ultimately, when you think about the matchup with Bledsoe, he outplayed George Hill, so um, it's good to see him so free and at peace, and he looks like he's having a lot of fun.
1: And we've talked about it a lot, Ethan. Right, the relief points. I mean, I, I bring it up over and over again because it just feels like in that first half, it felt like the only re- it felt the, like the Heat were going to go into the into the halftime down twelve to fifteen points, and the only reason they weren't is because of Goran Dragic. Like, a lot of guys were struggling. Duncan Robinson wasn't hitting his shots. I mean, Jimmy scored most of his points in the second half. That first half, Goran Dragic kept him in the game. And you have to think right now, is he not a, a top 10 offensive player in these playoffs? I mean, look at the numbers. I mean, he's averaging, what, 23, 24 points, I mean, yeah. every he's he's over five assists and rebounds like every single game. That What he's doing right now is absolutely amazing, especially for a guy his age who a lot of people, including myself, thought that he just didn't have that much left in the tank. But one thing that we talked about all summer long is him coming off the bench, playing limited minutes, and how important a healthy Goran Dragic was going to be to this Heat team in the playoffs. And we're seeing it now. And one thing I noticed last game, uh, we've been complaining that Spo would just ride Gorn for for 12 minutes in the fourth quarter. He actually this time uh, put Duncan Robinson in for a few minutes to spell Gorn and brought him right back. So I think um, Spo seeing it too that isn't Gorn super important. They got to keep him healthy. But we we said all year, an imp- a healthy Gorn Dragich is huge for this team.
0: Yeah, and he actually said that he didn't like the long rest. He said that today. He said he was concerned. Um, with the week layoff, the first series in- against Indiana, I felt great. I didn't want to lose that consistency. Uh, the coaches did an amazing job in practice trying to simulate the game, but there was, there was um, not arrogance. Gordon's not arrogant, but he is defiant. Okay. Um, that's been my experience with him. He's one of the nicest guys you'll meet, but he believes in himself. And he said today, he said, this is, I asked him, I said, this is the best you've played for an extended stretch in a long time. He said, this is not my first rodeo, but of course this is the best basketball I've played in the playoffs. All right. Last thing I want to get to here is Kendrick Nunn. Um, Eric Spolcher talked about a bunch of things. You can find it on five reasons sports, but I do want to get to the Isola uh, interview tonight. Um, he did talk about Kendrick Nunn and he talked about how happy he is for Kendrick, that, that he's found a role. Kendrick did speak to us and said, you know, Eric told me I'm coach told me I'm part of the rotation right now. Um, and he also said that he finally feels he has his rhythm back. Did it – limited minutes yesterday, 16 minutes Alf, but it did look like he had his rhythm back enough that
3: you can trust yeah, him. Yeah,
1: he looked trustworthy yesterday. Um, he also wasn't blowing defensive assignments left and right. I feel like the whole team defended really well. You, They kept talking about it on the broadcast. They were staying in front of their guys, and one of, one of those guys was Kendrick staying in front of his man. I think there's more guys, surprisingly, to hide Kendrick on on the Bucks. Than there are against some other teams, like you know, you throw them on Pat. Very true. You throw them on Connaughton. You, you know what I'm saying? You throw him on Connaughton. You throw on some of these guys, or or a Corver, who yes, he's going to run you around screens, but he's going to stay beyond the three point line and he's not going to penetrate. So there are guys you can hide a guy like Kendrick on, and he. But even with hiding or not, he played well. He played. He was in. He stayed in front of his man, and he played within the flow of the offense. Yeah. Right.
2: Yeah, I mean, everything was positive from from him, and and this is a huge – element for the heat because they need shot creation and there's going to be moments where um, when you talk about relief points Kendrick Nunn can can go get a bucket at times you know what I mean so anything that he's doing to round into form and, and gain confidence is, is huge but another another interesting wrinkle is just seeing Spolstra balance the ninth man situation and really being able to look at it situationally mm-hmm. uh, look at it uh, from a positional perspective when, there's ro- when you're cross matches and and just like what works, because like in this series, it's Kendrick Nunn. They're seeing that this three guard, let's size them down because that's when we can beat them may work. And then you see it could be Derek Jones Jr. in the next series. And it's just it, it's refreshing to see a roster this deep. And uh, Kendrick Nunn is um, he's definitely clawing back some of his trade value, too, for all of my transaction friends out there.
0: Well, the other thing I think that uh, changes as we're speaking here, Boston just went up 2-0 on Toronto, and we got to start looking at that (laughs) Uh, because, you know, that's a series I expected to go six or seven games. Um, The Celtics came back to win this one, even though Kemba got off to such a slow start. And you look at Kendrick Nunn was not good against Toronto in the three games he faced him this year. He was awful. Um, He was better against Boston. And, uh, and, and so I'm just wondering about that, that, you know, we, we may be looking at another change in matchups. I don't think you got to go super big against Boston. You might, you know, see Myers Leonard against Toronto in some circumstances against Marcus um, and some of the bigs that they use, but it, I do think it will be situational. We've kind of covered that and it's going to lead to some interesting episodes when we get into what do they do with Derek Jones jr. This off season, if he does not play a big role Uh, the rest of the playoffs all right just one more comment i want to get to from eric spolstra and then we're going to turn this over to my interview with frank isola um he he basically said today about jimmy butler in fact i can now find it he said that he uh he was asked uh, well i asked him actually that's why i remember the question about the jumper and that Eric said all year, we, you know, I don't want to talk about that. We're getting playmaking. We're getting leadership. Or Jimmy's great at all these other things. But today he did acknowledge that in some of their bigger games, he had the mid-range game uh, working. Um, and I'm trying to find the exact quote. I'm not finding it offhand. But that does – if he's making shots like that, how much is that going to open up their offense?
1: All right, he turned to a uh... – <laughs> You're not even not even a three level score, four levels because he gets to the free throw line so much, um, uh, right? It's just it's 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 kind of ridiculous. Now I don't want. I hope the 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 fan base is not um, counting on this to be a consistent thing. I hope it is right. And and Leif, you've heard me say it. Or you've seen me on the Twitter timeline that he makes those threes when they count. And it, re- it reminds us of somebody who uh, was not always a greatest shooter, uh, but when they counted, he would hit them. And it reminds you a little bit of Dwayne when it comes in crunch time, he- mm-hmm. he'll he hit those big shots.
2: And another key element with Jimmy is that he looks like he has his legs back and that's huge. Yeah, like he's e- e- even like, like take the three point shooting out of it. Just get into the bucket and, and, dunking is something that there were yeah. there were moments throughout the season where I thought to myself I thought Jimmy Butler dunked a little bit more than this um <laughs> right. you know what I mean and then like you start to see it in the playoffs and you're like okay this is that Jimmy Buckets that they talked about and we knew it was there and the, the more that he taps into it it's just it's so fun to watch I mean to have a uh, an alpha like this 40 point games I mean that's the kind of stuff that uh Heat fans want to get back to as quickly as possible well i
0: i always remember what Dwayne and lebron used to say they would say that you know mike miller and james jones and to a certain degree Richard lewis and ray allen and shane battier were shooters they were shot makers um when jimmy is on the whole buckets thing comes from him being a shot maker that he can score from various places it just didn't happen a lot this year here's the exact quote and then we're going to get into the isola interview uh, he said some of the most competitive games this year, he was really effective for mid-range and those short floaters. When you play against really good defensive teams, he can go to that part of the game and that's needed in the playoffs. All right, we're going to get to Frank Isola here in a second. Before we do, I want to tell you about another great sponsor of the five reasons sports network. And I'm going to grab a couple of these after I'm done. Cause it's been a long day and that's Biscayne Bay brewing. The Biscayne Bay brewing company is the official. This is the official beer of Inner miami which is on the verge of another big acquisition. Follow our Austin Robillard for that. Also of the Miami Marlins, who are still in a playoff spot right now, but I think we're actually having the best year. They're the official actual independent brewery of five reasons sports. They're owned by local guys who employ people in this community to make their beer right here in South Florida. These guys are committed to our community and support five Reason sports. So we can keep bringing you all the local sports content that you can handle. If you care about supporting local business and drinking amazing beer, grab their stuff, whether it's Marlins lager, Miami pale ale, or tropical Bay IPA. I got more of it out. Um, i at all major retailers throughout South Florida. It's the beer we're drinking at Five Reason Sports. And before we get to the interview, two codes that you should know about if you want uh, discounts. Go to mybookie.ag if you want to bet on sports, any kind of sports. Enter five on the floor and you will double your deposit. And if you want to clean yourself up a little bit, you got to go to manscaped.com. Use the code for this one, 5RSN. That's for five, the number five, RSN for Reason Sports Network and you will get 20% off. Ethan,
1: your order. You got to be like yes. Pat Riley and leave the Knicks behind, man. <laughs> That's a great that is a great segue.
0: Manscaped.com. Eric, w- Eric, one other quick thing. Today's the 25 year anniversary of uh of the Knicks trading Pat Riley to the Miami Heat for a first round pick that became Walter McCarty. Uh, obviously that turned out to be a pretty good trade. Yeah. Uh, can can well, you can you
4: anniversary today?
0: 25 years today, September 1st, uh, 1995. Um, I, I'm just curious, uh, how did you receive that
4: news at the time? Super nervous. Uh, I thought I would probably be out. And I would have been out uh, if it didn't end the way it did. He couldn't bring anybody from New York. But if he could have, he was going to bring Jeff, I, I had heard, and probably his whole staff. He was definitely going to bring uh, this video guy. Um, so I thought I was the very strong potential that I was going to be out, um, you know, without, without a job going into coaching in September, that's, that's a tough, tough timing, but I had already had some good experience working for the draft. So I was, I was cool with that, but I was definitely, uh, definitely nervous. Obviously you fast forward now, and, uh, I'm just extremely grateful for, for all these years, you know, working for the godfather. He's been, he really has been a, a, an incredible blessing in, in my life. Um, you know, it's, uh, Yeah, uh you're not going to get me emotional now. That just takes me down memory lane. Everybody knows how I feel about Pat and how, how good, uh, that kind of surprised me right now. <laughs> a little emotional, but um, yeah, he's been great for the, for the franchise, that, that partnership of the Rileys and the Arisons that'll go down all time in, in sports um, and how they've uh, transformed this franchise, but also the city, city of Miami been a great uh, boost.
0: All right. Welcome back to five on the floor on the five reasons sports network found every day on dash radio, 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. on the nothing but net channel. That's Eastern time or seven to eight a.m. Pacific. Now today, as we noted earlier in the episode, is the 25th anniversary of Mickey Harrison acquiring Pat Riley in a trade for a first-round pick that turned into the illustrious Walter McCarty out of (laughs) Kentucky. Uh, And so, uh, obviously, the past 25 years for the Miami Heat have gone a little bit better than the past 25 years for the New York Knicks. I believe uh, the Heat have only missed the playoffs four times um, we have got Frank Isola here who covered the Knicks for, for both tabloids in New York. Uh, and, and now, of course, you can find him on Around the Horn, PTI, and on Sirius XM NBA every morning. Um, how many times consecutively have the Knicks missed the playoffs,
3: Frank? Oh, my God. Now you're really putting me on the spot. Is it seven straight years? I think the last time they made the playoffs was when they got to the second round, which, by the way, that was the year where they beat Miami either two or three times. That was, and they ended up winning. The Knicks that year won 54 games, beat Boston. That was the end of the Kevin Garnett, Ray Allen. Well, Ray Allen was gone by then, Paul Pierce. Then they ran into Indiana and they ended up losing in six games. A famous play with Roy Hibbert blocking Carmelo at the rim Mm. with about four minutes to go in the fourth quarter of game six. That kind of turned the game and the Knicks ended up losing. But that year they had actually fared very well against the miami heat and they felt pretty confident now do i think if they had gone down there would they have beaten miami no i don't think so but i think they could have taken two games so that really in the last 20 years that is like you know the one shining Knicks season that year when they finally got out of the first round for the first time since 2000 and uh, made a little run all right so
0: we're gonna get back into the history of 95 and everything. We might actually have Mike Wise join us at some point who broke a lot of those stories uh, when he was working at the New York Times at the time. But, but I do want to go to a little bit more kind of uh, present day with you before we head all the way back there. Um, if you could sort of summarize, I, I know this is difficult because you've written hundreds of thousands of words on this, but if you could summarize what's happened to the Knicks since 1995 and obviously the brief Van Gundy era and then everything after uh, how how would how would you even do that?
3: You know, I still think that after Pat Riley left, which was devastating for the Knicks in so many ways because you think about what he's accomplished in Miami, and I've said this for the longest time. I always say the worst thing that's happened to the Knicks in the last 25 years is that Pat Riley left because I do believe if he had stayed there, I would, I'm going to be fair. I think the Knicks could have won two titles because I just think that he, you know, look what he did in Miami. I believe he could have done something very similar in New York. But, you know, after he left, you know, they they struggled to adjust to Don Nelson, even though when Don Nelson was fired, you want to talk about how things have changed in New York. Don Nelson was fired. He was the coach that replaced Pat Riley. He was fired at 34 and 25.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: He was nine games over 500. If a coach in New York was nine games over 500 right now, in, in the season is in March, they're going to give the guy a contract extension. So then they went back to Jeff. So you still had, you know, Jeff Van Gundy. So Jeff had learned at the right hand of Pat Riley, and you still had that core. You still had... Patrick Ewing, Charles Oakley, John Stark. So they still were the Knicks. And then, you know, they did make it to a finals in 99, got to a conference finals in 2000. But really the change was ownership and Jim Dolan taking on a more prominent role. Jeff ended up leaving in December of 01. And that's really when everything turned. It was more of an ownership thing. You can tell they were kind of hanging on a little bit by a string. After Pat left, they were able to regroup a little bit. They did, again, make that finals run the year that they, you know, as the eighth seed, obviously they knocked out Mm -hmm. Miami. You didn't have Michael Jordan around. It was a lockout-shortened season. A lot of factors probably played into the Knicks' hand. But it really was – the Knicks started to feel the loss of Pat Riley once Patrick was traded and Charles Oakley was gone and Jeff Van Gundy was gone, kind of all the people that kind of were, you know, molded by Pat Riley. Once you got rid of all of them, then everything changed.
0: Yeah, I mean, like the, they talk down here, culture, right? Like the culture changed. I, I know Jeff kept it going up there uh, for for a little while. And those years, though, I mean, those late 90s years, I mean, it, it wouldn't be fair to say that the Knicks missed Riley that much because they kept beating him. I mean, they beat, they beat him three out of four. Uh, even while being the lower seed in every series, every series, and I know you covered all of them like I did. Uh, every series went the max, which I don't think we'll ever see that again. Four straight years where every series went to the final game. And obviously Charlie Ward, PJ Brown, uh, Jeff Van Gundy, and Zoe uh, Spreewell and Hardaway. We, we know all of that stuff. But I, I guess the first four or five years after Pat left, there really
3: wasn't seller's remorse, was there? I, I think – even at the time, I think, you know, the Knicks were winning in the short term. And I think, you know, if you had said back then, you know, Pat Riley's going to be there for 25 years, then you're really thinking, oh, this is, this is going to be bad. Because, you know, nobody in New York is going to last that long. And we didn't know at the time about Jim Dolan and how impulsive he can be and short, you know, short-tempered and wanting to move people in and out of the front office. So, you know, you look at Miami, Pat Riley goes down there. You have an owner, Mickey Harrison, who believes in Pat Riley. He lets him run the show. They've had three coaches since then. I mean, the Knicks have had, I think, three coaches in the last few months, right? uh, (laughs) From David Fisdale to uh, Mike Miller and now Tom Thibodeau. It's just different the way things are run. And I think, obviously, Pat Riley has a lot to do with it. And you mentioned it about, you know, the some years where they didn't make the playoffs. And wasn't there one year where Miami won, like, was it 17 games or 21? 15 15 games. And I think, and and Ethan, I think that's what it is. The fact that, so every year wasn't perfect but they never deviated from the plan and their core values and and things like that. And Pat Riley was still always going to be in charge. And they set a foundation where when LeBron came in and you could tell, you know, they were going to try to pin everything on Eric Spolstra, Pat Riley didn't do that. So it's just like, it's just a different mentality to me. And I've, and I've written this before and I've said this before every year that the Knicks are looking for a new front office, which to be fair is almost every year. I always felt the first call I would make would be to Pat Riley. I would call him up. And then mm-hmm. as crazy as this sounds, I would call a Bill Belichick and tell, tell him to come in and be the president of the team. You just needed that kind of organizational structure. And you look at teams like New England, you look at teams like the Miami Heat, the San Antonio Spurs, there are certain organizations that just do it the right way. And clearly, as much as I like to goof on the people in Miami, I mean, come on. It's, uh, it's, it's one of the marquee franchises in professional sports, not just the NBA.
0: Now, I don't know if we'll be able to get Wise on here, so I want to ask you about this because you were here there during all of – that stuff. So, in the simplest terms, and I went back and read the articles today, and obviously I, I know quite a bit of the history from the Riley side, but also uh, from those who were covering the Knicks at the time, because as I've acknowledged, I was rooting for the Knicks at the time. I was in grad school at 90, in 95 at Columbia, um, and I was a Knicks fan. And then a year later, I was covering the Heat. So, all of that changed. Uh, but I have some background on it. But for people who don't understand it, what was it about between Pat Riley and Dave Chekin? And, and I think why, yeah. why, why, why did it get to that point? I,
3: I just think that Dave Chekin. There was probably a couple of things. A, he probably didn't believe that someone should do both jobs, which not everyone can do both jobs, but there are certain guys that can perform both jobs be the president of the team and also be the head coach. And by then, Pat Riley had accomplished a lot. So it wasn't like you were doing what Boston did with uh, Rick Patino, where you're just handing him the keys to the entire franchise, even though Rick Patino is a talented guy and had some experience in the NBA. Pat Riley's still at a different level so maybe I think there was something there and I also think it's probably had a lot to do with power maybe Dave checketts on some level thought that he was going to be losing some of it some of his influence in the garden I always felt it was the wrong play by the Knicks I just think that Pat Riley is a it's a different kind of guy now in his heart of hearts, did he think, you know what, in New York, there's always you know, this corporate world, and it's like there are a bunch of sharks swimming here, and it's always been difficult. And listen, ever since he's left, think about how it's worked out. Did he probably think that and said, you know what, I can go to Miami, I could start something on my own, I can make a ton of money, I get the warm weather of Florida. I, I don't even think that he probably thought it would turn out this good in Miami like it did. It's been better than expected, and I think, when you just mentioned those four years where they played the Knicks in the playoffs and lost three times. That probably had him thinking maybe I made the wrong choice. But at that time, you know, Pat Riley, when he came to the Knicks, and I was a Knicks fan, so when he came to the Knicks, I remember mm-hmm. thinking, I cannot believe that Pat Riley is coaching the Knicks. This is Pat mm-hmm. Riley of all people. To me, right away, it made the Knicks legitimate. And there was always this talk about Patrick Ewing not wanting to be there, and then Pat Riley met with him, and, of course, Patrick Ewing was all in. I'm like, this is the guy you want. It, it's Pat Riley, and those teams – for a team that never won a championship and they made it to a game seven in 94. Mm-hmm. This show is sponsored
0: by better help. What's the first thing you do. If you had an extra hour in your day, go for a run, take a nap, maybe check the stats of the latest Miami heat game. I've got a better idea. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is time for what, if time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. for no additional charge. So learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com/slash Miami Heat today to get 10% off your first month. Again, that's BetterHelp, H com L P.com/slash Miami Heat.
1: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy sandwich, but you're the filet o fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time.
4: And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price.
2: Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.
3: Against the Houston Rockets. That's a beloved team. Because, you know, they just fit the identity of people in New York. People in New York love the fact that you know they were physical they were tough they were kind of the underdog Michael Jordan is flying above the rim and here's like the grit and grind New York Knicks and I think people I thought Greg Anthony said it great in the documentary winning time you know with the Knicks and Reggie Miller where he said we were either going to win the game or we were going to win the fight we were getting out we were getting out of there mm. with a win somehow and I think that kind of sums up the Knicks from that era under Pat Riley.
0: Well well Pat gave a speech uh a few years ago at the stadium, I think I've told this on five on the floor before Don Shula was supposed to be that day there that day, but he was ill. So Pat sort of had the stage to himself and he started talking a lot about his Knicks days, more than I anticipated. Um, I've got a lot of snowbird dolphin fans down here. So uh, I guess it shouldn't have stunned me too much because it was at the stadium, but, and he started talking about the marketing campaign. It's great. And that, you know, I guess it was his, sec- his second year was his second year in New York where they came to him and said, well, you know, we're going to do this flowery market- marketing campaign. He's like, no, 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 no. Yep. Talk outlines. That's what we want. That, that's, yep. that, that's who we are. Uh, and, and so they did establish that. And I do think what's interesting is that the Pat Riley of Miami, to me, owes itself more to the Pat Riley of New York than the Pat Riley of L.A., Um, I I mean, we can talk about getting LeBron and something Dwayne and the flashy players he had here, but the cornerstones of the Miami team have always been toughness, grit, work ethic, not showtime-ish as much, Um, much more like, and if you look at what Pat's done here, particularly with Eric kind of leading the, the way here the past few years, but the Heat have always found, since Riley's been here, you know, the overlooked player, the, the Vashon Leonard, the Ike Austin, the Anthony Carter, you know, and now present day, I mean, before they paid them, Tyler Johnson, Hassan Whiteside, now Kendrick Nunn, Duncan Robinson, uh, Malik Allen, Mike James. I mean, all you Don Haslam, yep. right? Joel Anthony, all these undrafted guys. And really that started um, in New York, uh, you know, with Sparks and Mason right, CBA particular. guys. Yep. And so, I do think that, you know, we, we've we always said, Levitard always says this, that we kind of got Schenectady um, Riley instead of Showtime Riley down here. I, I, what do you think is the biggest lesson he learned from the New York days? And I, I
3: do think, I, in the Schenectady part, I was going to say that. I think that's like, that's really Pat Riley, like, you know, Schenectady, New York, like a, a grimy kind of town and a tough town. And that's what he brought to New York. And I also think it tells you a lot about him. As a basketball executive and talent evaluator. So you're in LA, you got Magic Johnson. So you kind of let Magic Johnson run the show. And it's the Showtime Lakers. And, you know, they got Magic Kareem. Their third option is James Worthy. Their third option is the top 50 player of all time. I mean, come on. And then your fourth option is Byron Scott. You got Michael Cooper. You come to New York, he doesn't have those players. So he feels like I'm going to have to. And we don't, and we're going up against Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen. We're going to have to like wrestle these guys to try to beat them. And I think when he got down to Miami, and you rattled off the names, I would always think about that when they were playing each other in the late '90s. And especially since Jeff was a disciple of Pat Riley, I thought like Alonzo Mourning, I could see him in a Nick uniform. And then later on, like mm-hmm. Udonis Haslem, you could see him in a Nick uniform. And I always loved being at the games with Tim Hardaway, and I've told him this over the years. Yeah, I felt kind of corny saying it to him, but I could tell they actually appreciate when I said it. I said I really like respected and appreciated watching you play. I just thought you were so good. I could tell you weren't always healthy. Your knee probably was bothering you, but you know you always you know came came to play. You made big shots, and I think Pat Riley took what he had in New York, figured this is the way I'm going to start in Miami. But look how much the league has changed, and look how much the Miami Heat have changed. Look what they are now. They're Duncan Robinson, you know, <laughs> taking nine shots. The nine shots that he takes in one game are three pointers. So he's been willing to adjust with the times and he set up a great thing. And you mentioned Dwayne Wade, you know, he inherited a uh, magic and Kareem in LA. Mm-hmm. He drafted Dwayne Wade. So four other teams had an opportunity to draft him. He's the one that drafted Dwayne Wade, which got everything started. You talk about player development. He's developing Lamar Odom and Karam Butler, which enables them to get Shaquille O'Neal. So everything mm-hmm. is tied to how their organization is connected. And then, you know the one big year in free agency, they knock it out of the park with LeBron, and you make the finals four straight times. But it's hey, they've won. They won before LeBron showed up. They won with LeBron, and they'll probably at this rate, they're probably going to win again without LeBron.
0: So let's go back again to the problems in New York without a salesman like him. If he had stayed, as you're entering the sort of the period of free agency. I mean, does, I know you say how badly they need someone like him at the top of the depth chart, right. <laughs> or the organizational chart, but how different, I, I mean, I guess if James Dolan's in charge of the team, I don't know how much it would have changed. I don't know if Pat could have worked for James Dolan for very long, to be honest, I, my, yep. my guess is no. Uh, but, but how much does it change? Because New York, as you know, has kind of become a laughing stock in free agency and okay, we're going to swing for Kevin Durant. We're going to get Julius Randall. Yeah. Um, I, you know, how how does it look if Pat Riley's in charge when you're entering that
3: period? And, and I think, you know, everyone talks about Doc Rivers, and I think, you know, Doc Rivers is a coach. It's a different thing right now than where Pat Riley is, but he just has instant credibility, and he's just a guy that, for whatever reason, resonates with all these players. I think the players you know, we've seen some goofy things that he's done dancing with that genie outfit on. And, you know, he's a big Bruce Springsteen fan. He's probably less connected with players than he ever was. But I still think players think of him as the ultimate cool guy. That was his reputation for the longest time. And after all these years, he hasn't coached in forever. I think that still resonates with people. But something that Jeff Van Gundy told me Years ago. It, I was so happy when he told me this because I always like Pat Riley. I always admire him. I think he's phenomenal. I joke around about on the radio. I said, that's the whale that we gotta get. That's the there are two people. We gotta get Michael Jordan and uh Pat Riley. That's who I want to talk to. But Jeff Van Gundy had said that Pat Riley every single day woke up thinking about how do I go about winning a championship? And you could say, Well, I'm sure other teams do that. I'm not so sure they do. And I remember asking him, what was he like after Game 7 when he lost to the Houston Rockets? And he said, you know, he was right away thinking about next season. He wasn't going to – listen, I'm sure in his private moments, he's probably gone back and gone over it a million times, what the heck happened in that game. They could have won a championship, and that changes everything for everybody. And probably Pat Riley would have been in New York for 10 more years Mm -hmm. after that. But I just Mm -hmm. think, had he stayed in New York, I just think he would have put the Knicks – in a much different position. They've had too many ownership changes. And you mentioned it, Ethan. the Knicks are all talk. We got this guy yeah. and he's the free, the players love playing for him and this guy and that guy, There's never really a plan. The plan is just keep my job until the next plan that I come up with. That That's mm-hmm. all it is where there's really no foundation for really anything that's going to lead to long-term success.
0: So let's look at it going forward. Now again, 25 years, um, you know, in the playoffs, 80% of the time, three championships, five finals, Uh, In some ways, I kind of consider this his best rebuild because he kind of did it to himself. Um, You know, I was very critical of him and the organization in 16 and 17 for signing middling players to long-term big contracts. When you're the Miami heat, you don't need to do that. Just go develop another one or attract another one. You don't need to sign Hassan Whiteside for that. You don't need to sign Dion waiters and JJ and James Johnson when nobody else was, or Tyler Johnson, which I know was not necessarily his call that came up from above him, but all of the moves that they made, he put, he basically tied his hands behind his back with all of those moves. And then it's like, oh, we're going to get Jimmy Butler with no cap space by trading a guy who was the number 40 pick in the draft, nice player, but limited uh, in Josh Richardson, and we're somehow going to dump the Hassan co- contract at the same time uh, without giving anything else of, else of significance up. As someone who covers the NBA at large right now, how do you perceive what he's done the past, I don't know, year to put the heat in this position?
3: Well, you know, I always, there, was, there was a year in Memphis where Jerry West um, selected Drew Gooden. And I think he got rid of him, not even been less than a year. And I think it says something about maybe some of the executives that are more confident in themselves. Mm-hmm. They could recognize, that, you know what, maybe I made a mistake here with this guy. I'm going to gonna change it up. And like I said, it hasn't always been perfect with Pat Riley. There have been a couple of ye- lean years, but look how quickly they bounce back. And I, I, I tend to agree with you because if you look at the team that they have, it's players drafted with high picks. It's the big free agent, Jimmy Butler. It's players that they developed, guy, uh, obviously Duncan Robinson, Kendrick Nunn, guys that they've traded for. I mean, come on, Gordon Dragic has been terrific yes. all postseason long. So I mean, he's might right at this moment, he might be the most underrated player in the league considering what he's been able to do the last few games. I I just think what they've done this year, it's it says a lot about that organization. And you could see kind of a future, and it also – the team just looks connected when Jimmy Butler's playing for Minnesota, mm-hmm. you could tell Carl Anthony Towns, a little jealous, probably. Then you go to Philadelphia and he dragged them to a game seven against Toronto. And, you know, but you could tell with Embiid and Ben Simmons there, was it really going to work? Was it going to be some of this petty jealousy? You don't see any of that in Miami. Mm-hmm. I was like, Bam Adebayo knows what his role is. Gordon Dragic knows what his role is. Duncan Robinson knows. And I thought it was funny when Jimmy Butler came out and said, after the game one win, I told them uh, I got go in time I'm not going to pass the ball. <laughs> I think right. The players pro- probably completely understood they were like yeah yeah you know what that actually is the best plan of uh, action right now. Well because I mean he's earned the credibility
0: with them with the way he came in but what I said uh, from the very beginning is you know just like uh down here, at least, because I know obviously the connection between Riley and Magic and Riley and Ewing, but down here, Zo was the pinnacle of say the Riley culture. He was the embodiment. Yeah. he he, repeat, he would say adversity introduces a man to himself and we're like, okay, we got he got that from Pat and then he would repeat it for the next year. Jimmy Butler is Spolstra's Zo. Like they they are completely connected. and I, I've told this story, I'm five on the floor, but the first week, Jimmy came down, testing eric i mean he he pushed him (laughs) and after a week he went back to people in his circle and said i'm not doing it anymore he's the best coach i've ever played for and and i know you have a relationship with tibbs but i you know he he put spo up there from the very beginning and i feel like uh he and spolster it's like this kindred spirit thing where he jimmy's sort of brazenness has gotten eric to get out of his shell a little bit this year where he's he's spoken out a little bit more um and he just, he, he kind of has a little bit more attitude than he had before. And it just feels like he, he's his guy. But you're right. It's about establishing a culture. If you put Jimmy
3: Butler in New York, how would that go with yeah, his personality? That, exactly. I think, I think what happens to a lot of these guys in New York, they come to New York and like the losing starts and then it's, well, what else can I do? Can I get into the fashion world? Maybe I can become an actor in New York. It always seems to be everyone's working on their second career when, when they get to New York. And it's funny, you mentioned Thibodeau. Because, Tom, if you're ever talking about the NBA, he always talks about Pat Riley. You know, because I think a lot that Tom learned about the NBA, first from Eric Musselman, but a ton of it from Jeff Van Gundy, all comes down from Pat Riley. So uh, Tom constantly talks about Pat Riley. And he and Jimmy Butler remain close. Tom went down to Miami a couple of times this year, had lunch with him, dinner with him, hung out with Jimmy. What happened in Minnesota, which I thought made Tom look bad, but Tom's maintained a good relationship with Jimmy – Jimmy Butler was a – I think he didn't think that the management, meaning ownership of Minnesota, would be it, – it, it would work there. And to be fair, he's kind of been right about that. Look at look at what's happened since he's left. The well, thing's gone completely problems. in the I toilet. Mean, it, the yeah, the it, same yeah, well, thing with Tom
0: Yeah. So it, it's it's totally changed. I, I guess yeah, it's interesting you mentioned Tibbs and Pat because, you know, of course they, they butted heads over the Jimmy trade <laughs> itself, right, or else – you know, Jimmy might have been in in Miami a little bit earlier, but they do have similar philosophies in terms of work ethic. I mean, you know, I you know obviously the minutes playing your stars a lot. We don't really believe in load management, although the Heat sort of do. They just don't acknowledge it. They've done it over the past few years at times. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. There's a lot of similarities between the two. All right, before we close, I'm one, frank, one
3: similarity can't... though the difference, Pat Riley has like you know he's gotten older he has like a different like he has other interests in life tom just wants to coach basketball Right. <laughs> that's, all, right. that's all he wants to do
0: right well like and i like i said i mean pat could have left this thing a, a while ago um he has i mean that front office is loaded i mean they've got ellisberg they've got battier they've got uh a- adam simon who's been interviewing all over the place chet camera's still involved obviously the arisons I mean, it's it's one of the deepest front offices in the league, if not the can, deepest. Can, yeah, he's I, still I in just, charge.
3: Yeah, I wanted to say one thing. The story. Um, oh my god, is it th- the the guy from ESPN that writes the long form? Uh, is it Hunter Thompson?
0: Oh, Hunter Thompson. Yeah, the Hunter Thompson. Hat, yeah, yeah, I guess.
3: apologize. I loved. You know, I read the, you know, I read. Oh, no, the no, stories. I'm sorry.
0: Wright Thompson. Wright <laughs> <Right>. Thompson. <laughs> I got to correct that. It sounds like Hunter. Some, Wright Thompson. Thinking, Hunter I, Thompson's a whole different character. Yeah. No movies yeah. made yeah. about R- Wright Thompson. Wright <laughs> right. 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 Thompson.
3: He does a really good job. That, that story. Like, you know, we, you, like you're reading the story. It was a really good story. But at the end, the quote from Pat Riley, when he said like something, you know, what's the, um, the most exaggerated story in the NBA right now is that Pat Riley's dead. There was something along those lines. And I was mm-hmm. like, this, this dude's a badass, man. That was like – I thought – and that's why watching him after game one when there was that great clip of Jimmy Butler walking off the court and pointing up and then who's standing there, it's like after all these years, it's like Pat Riley – it's like the whole thing is like too cool. You know, it was was really awesome.
0: Well, that – I mean, people were pulling out a graphic today that was from a story that I wrote in 2014 about Riley – was a graphic of him as the godfather and it says you know still pulling the strings and it was from an interview i did in his office after lebron left where i was not expecting pat to unload on lebron in fact i had crafted all kinds of other questions about his career assuming that he would not let me go there and then he spent 25 minutes unloading on, LeBron, <laughs> on the record um and I, but i remember during that conversation. You know, I said to him, "I said, how does this end for you? I mean, this is 2014. We're full six years ago. Okay, at this stage, how does this end?" Because he was so upset, Frank, that he thought that everybody was gonna have barbecues. Okay, that was his thing. Yeah, uh, you know, uh, that that Heat family was gonna stay together forever. And if you look at it, Frank, it's one of the the few real ultimate failures not the era not the two championships but the end is one of the few failures of his career down here because everybody left unhappy you know Dwayne left unhappy with the way they mangled that in 15 and 16 LeBron left unhappy for his own reasons Bosch left unhappy but that was sort of out of the heat's control that was illness related I think they did the right thing Chalmers left unhappy Chris Anderson left unhappy Raiden talked to Eric the last year he was here (laughs) uh and you know the only one who stuck in and he wasn't happy all the time also was Haslam Um, but James Jones and Mike Miller, Miller was amnestied. They left unhappy. the whole damn team was unhappy. Okay. Even Shane like is acknowledged like that last year, he should have quit the first day of training camp. He just wasn't into it that last season. So they all left unhappy. And so I asked, you know, Pat, I said, how does this end? And he said, well, you know, I want to get one more ring. And then you know Chris, his wife, and I are you know we're we're not even going to be in the post game celebration. We're just going straight to the airport to France, and you won't see us again. <laughs> and, and that that was six years ago. And then you know then they had it was after that that the Dwayne thing happened and he left. And then you I felt like they they over he overreacted by getting overly sentimental because the whole last group had left unhappy, and then he paid guys like Dion Waiters and James Johnson to kind of prove we take care of our guys. And that didn't work. I didn't know, Frank, that there would be this last act for him.
3: Yeah. I, but it know, looks I, like there will be. I always felt like, you know, I understand what Dwayne Wade means to South Florida. I mean, would it be saying that he's the greatest athlete in South Florida ahead of Dan Marino because he's won championships, right? He's, the, mean, mo- he's he,
0: the most important athlete in South Yeah, Florida. you know, I, you know uh, going great, down the Greatest there, is hard to say, but because uh, Dan...
3: The most important. yeah, The most yeah. important,
0: yes. Yeah. yes.
3: But I always felt that, you know, when you hear guys talk about it, it's always really difficult to say goodbye to a legend and you know we all remember kobe bryant's last game with the lakers a couple of those years they were brutal he was miserable his teammates were miserable his coaches didn't like him it, it was not you know everyone looked at it a lot differently after he had that amazing last game where he shot the ball i think 50 times or whatever or whatever it was i always felt from the outside looking in i always felt that pat riley knew you know what it's probably be better that that uh, dwayne wade leaves and when he did I felt that Pat, it was very calculated when he kind of said, ah, you know what, we made a mistake. You should have been here. Almost like knowing eventually he'll come back. And when he came back, he came back in a role that was more suitable for both of them as, as a backup. And, it, mm-hmm. and it, 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 it's amazing. It had, a, in what, however you want to look at it, kind of a happy ending. I almost think that in, in a weird kind of way, I almost felt like it. I feel like it worked no out in Pat's favor, and I kind of think it was by design
0: i don't think it was by design because i being in the middle of it at that time um the disconnect between them was real the hurt from dwayne who i was communicating with a lot was real um i I think he looked at pat as a father figure and you know one that he, he hadn't had um that's the way it was explained to me by people close to him and the fact that pat was not involved in the negotiations in 16 which was in part because things didn't go well in 15 and he had to get out of the way. And Henry Thomas had to get out of the way, the late, the late great Henry Thomas. I was a big Henry Thomas fan. Um, And they both had to get out of the way. And so it ended up being just the Arisons and, and Dwayne banging out a one year, $20 million deal with the hope that they wouldn't have the same problem the next year. And then of course the heat prioritized Whiteside, and Dwayne got upset and Pat didn't really reach out to him and Pat acknowledge you have the facts. So I don't think any of it was by design. I do think your other point is right, though. I think it worked out for the best um, yeah. for a lot of reasons. And it, I think it gave Dwayne a much better send off than a much more perfect send off, even without the playoffs, than he would have had if he'd stayed through with his skills declining and perhaps his knees declining further. I mean, I, I think it's like, you know, as somebody inside the Heat organization, pretty prominent, said to me recently, you know, it, 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 it was, it was for both ways, the rare thing where distance made the heart grow fonder both ways. And yeah. And, and so it, it did work out. Um, and I think by it working out, and this is where I want to close with you by it working out. I think what it's done is, and you can speak this from an NBA perspective. I think it's restored the heat's overall credibility in the league back to where it was prior to some down years with LeBron leaving where you had Jimmy Butler directly acknowledging that the way that the Heat sent Wade off was a part of his decision to want to be in an organization like that where you have, you know, obviously spulched with this development program but the Heat now have are going to have a max slot in 2021. Um, they maintain some flexibility for this offseason provided there's any money for anybody. They've got as many good young players, rising young players as any team in the league on cost controlled contracts, whether it's hero or none, eventually they have to extend bam, but they've got Duncan. Um, do you see them as a championship threat over the next couple of years and provided, you know, they can do
3: some things in free agency too. To me, it still is the number one free agent market. Cause I do think of the weather, the state taxes and the organization that's there. So I think after LeBron left and maybe People looked at it a little bit differently than what happened with Dwayne Wade, but I think you're right. I I just think everything that's happened, it feels like the Miami Heat are back. It feels like they're on that track again, where you look at them as a dangerous and serious player in free agency. They have their act together. You could see where it's trending with them. They're going up and Hey, you know, you look at the Eastern Conference. To me, you could still make a case for all four of these teams making it to an NBA final. So, would I'd be shocked if the Miami Heat were in the finals, especially where you're only playing on a neutral site, and some of these younger guys maybe playing on the road would have impacted them. So, I, they're probably ahead of schedule right now. And like you said, with that cap space that they have in 21, be careful, everyone, because they've done it before. They'll do it again.
0: Will they do it with Giannis, do you think? Do you think that this would be a place he would look?
3: I, I think if Giannis were to leave – I think Miami, Toronto, Golden State. That's I hope he stays team. in Milwaukee because you know I'm I'm all about these guys staying with the team that drafted them. And you know I know he's you know they, they're going to have to do some stuff because right now it doesn't look too good for them. But I think it I think it's going to be Miami, Toronto, or Golden State.
0: Those are the exact same three I've heard. The only other one that has slipped into the mix with some I've talked to is Dallas. Dallas, uh, yeah. You know, and obviously there is some relationship with Luca. I, I think their games fit. Some people don't. I think their games fit, but personality-wise, they seem to fit. And you've got some of the same advantages as Miami. No state tax, pretty good weather, um, and, and an organization that's proven it can win in the right circumstances with a proven head coach. Like, I, I, I do think they're a threat, but I'm with you. I keep hearing Miami and Toronto over and over as the two yeah. primary um, and, and that makes sense because those are two of the best developmental organizations in the league right now that can put players no, they've proven they can put players around him. They've won titles in the last decade. Um, they would make sense. I, I, I do, before I let you go. I got one more uh, Phil Jackson. The fact that he couldn't do it in New York, does that raise, because there's always been this kind of under the surface rivalry between the two of them and i think in history that will be recorded also with obviously you know it got played up again in last dance too um did, did that did that sort of raise riley's standing at all the fact that phil could not get it done in that other role whereas I, pat could
3: i th- i think there's a little truth to that I, th- I think there is some truth to that and i think you know when pat riley was younger when he went to miami i also think he had a plan i don't think that Phil Jackson had a plan when he came to New York. I think he got caught up in romanticizing about, you know, winning here in New York and he won with, with those Nick teams, you know, for late sixties, early seventies that people still talk about. Here was my thing about Phil Jackson at his press conference. He got up there and said, you know, he talked about Red Holtzman and the Knicks and what it meant to him and coming home. And I'm thinking, okay, but you didn't come home for 5 million a year. Mm-hmm. You didn't even come home for 10 million a year. I think he got about 15. So, yeah, you could talk about all the sentimental stuff, but they still had to pay you a lot of money for you to even consider coming here. And he just, you know, at that time, I didn't think it was going to work out. You know, everyone, oh, everyone in the media wanted him. I thought if you're going to get him to be the coach, that's one thing. Why would you want him as an executive? He had never done a job like this before. Mm
2: -hmm.
3: He was about 68, 69, but unfortunately an old 68, 69, because he's had some serious health issues and he couldn't, he wasn't doing a lot of traveling. To do that job the right way, you gotta grind, man. Mm-hmm. That job is not easy, especially when you have never done it before. Pat Riley's at a stage where he can delegate to people. But when you're trying when like it's on you to rebuild a a franchise from the ground up, you gotta work at it. He just, you know, he just didn't have it in him. He was never traveling. And then like, you know, there was one point during the season where he went away to Woodstock. This was like during this year, and he was tweeting out photos of some like little cabin he was staying in it's like i remember writing the guy went on spring break the season is happening the knicks are terrible how like he just to me did not have the right mindset they got him way too late he did it to for a payday it was it's unfortunate how it worked out for everybody because i think it tarnished certainly tarnished his legacy a little bit i think the last dance was good for uh was good for phil jackson he looked good in that
0: yeah, no, you can go back there. Well, look, you mentioned Riley delegating. He delegates some, but, I mean, again, like you said, he was still in the bubble. He found a way – I mean, he's not in the bubble bubble. He's sort of doing what is the equivalent of the media tier two thing, right? But, he's, yeah. but, but he still was there. He got himself up there. He doesn't need to be there, but I think he's there in part so that what Jimmy Butler did after game one happens, right, where where Jimmy looks up and knows, oh, you know, that he's, he's watching us. And I, and he, I still yeah. th- think there's a certain – you know.
3: I was, I was going to say the one thing about Parra, which always, I mean, about Phil Jackson, which always struck me in New York. Listen, he's got an arrogance about him, which is well-earned. I mean, he's won all those championships, but he was the kind of guy that never would say, you know, when I had Michael in Chicago, my, like he never mentioned Michael Jordan's name. I always used to think, why wouldn't you mention that? You coached the guy, you guys had unbelievable success. It was, it, I always, that always struck me as kind of odd, where it was almost like he thought maybe Michael was getting too much credit for us winning. Like he would never tell any story where he mentioned Michael Jordan. Well, you know, when we were in Chicago, you know, Michael did this, or Michael did that. Never. You know, it's and like where, that didn't where, where exist. Whereas,
0: whereas Riley, you know, will summon the magic name a lot, you know, yeah. and, and all, always has. And I, I, I do think that's like the one, the one place where, where I think Pat didn't sort of rise to where he wanted in comparison to what Phil did. And part of it is because he wasn't coaching him is that the Riley LeBron relationship never developed into what, i and others anticipated it would develop into like that there clearly was communication between the two of them and all the rest but it's even you know the riley quote before i think before lebron left uh the famous one where it was kind of revealed that lebron's wife was pregnant and that pissed off lebron's people because there was some stuff that wasn't supposed to get out at that press conference and you know the uh do you have the guts that was the, the press conference and you know lebron's people about 20 minutes later were blowing up reporters phones, saying did he just F and say that and so that one didn't go particularly well but yeah. but the but the, the one thing he said at that presser was he said lebron and i have a texting relationship and and the relationship with lebron never became again because he didn't coach him never became what his relationship with magic was what his relationship to some degree was with dwayne what it certainly was with with patrick um and some of the other greats that he coached so you know, you talk about the two greatest players of all time. Phil had that relationship. I think Pat wanted to have it with LeBron, but it didn't. It never quite got there. I uh, yeah. mean, that, that's one of the other.
3: Do you also think that maybe all along LeBron knew that he'd be leaving at a, at some point? Maybe, oh, no, no.
0: At some point, absolutely. At some yeah. point, absolutely. And when I look back at two thousand twelve, and I always will feel like an idiot because I was in Cleveland uh, covering that team and. know lebron said something they were they were working out at a practice gym up there it was during the lynn stuff i remember it was it was that period i think it was the 12 13 it was during that period and lebron was asked about um uh, about cleveland he kind of opened the door to coming back and i remember talking to people around lebron right after like no 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 he didn't mean to do that and i bought it but as we know when you look back at it at the time He was already kind of setting the stage for that. And I think he always intended to go back. I think there were a lot of excuses that were made for why he left in 14 and some that have never really been written and talked about that were legitimate. But um, I think it was a combination of things. But I do think it blindsided Riley in the heat. Um, I was talking – players who played with LeBron were telling me all week in 14, he's gone. I don't know why you're not writing it. He's gone. He's out of there. He's not staying. He's he's pissed about this. He wants to do this. He's a – And yet I would talk to people at very high levels at the heat and they're like, no, he's staying. We're fine. There was, there was a definite disconnect at the end.
3: I I don't like the way that he handled it though. I think, you know, what what was the story about Vegas where he was, when they met with him, he was just watching the, was it the world cup that was on? He was
0: watching soccer. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's
3: like, I mean, come on. It's yeah. I, it was,
0: it it was not the best. And, and you know, that, that first year after he left, I was assigned to cover him in Cleveland of all things uh, for bleacher report. And it was funny because I would be making the trips back and forth. And whenever I'd see him up there and it was a little more restrictive media wise, but I would get some one-on-ones with him, Whenever or he'd just walk offs. And whenever he would say, he'd say, what the F did Ryle say about me now? Like I remember the, uh, the, 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 yeah. the smiling faces with hidden agendas comment.
3: Oh, that was, we played that on the radio all the time. I love that one.
0: <laughs> well, the other thing he did was, you know, you remember that famous uh, Muhammad Ali, um, cover with him, you know, kind of taking the arrows. I forgot what magazine it was in. It, it's, yeah. a, it's a day. Anyway, LeBron forgot too because he had the wrong magazine. He thought it was SI. It wasn't SI. It was, it's, I think it was Esquire, actually. But he uh, I remember that day because I was up there listening to the Riley Presser, but I was in Cleveland. And so he said the smiling faces with hidden agendas comment. And then I had to go to Cavs practice. And so I, I didn't ask him about it, but Joe Varden asked him about it and so i was sort of standing in the back i couldn't get that close to him because he was crowded but as we walked away he, he pulled me aside and that's what he said what the f did ryle say about me and i said well i just i just watched i wasn't there obviously broad, i was here i'm in cleveland but i saw the presser this is what he said and he goes you ever see that cover of muhammad ali on si where all the arrows are going through him that's me and i was like okay uh, he's always,
3: always got to be the martyr oh my god <laughs>
0: so so that's kind of how that played out well frank listen great stuff appreciated um follow him on uh when he's on pti also around the horn uh the frank isola on twitter and of course sirius xm nba was it every day seven to ten is that 7 right to
3: ten every day right, i'm nuts. still
0: available to you frank you all right
3: yeah, we got it. we always have fun when you come on we'll have to get you on this week
0: all right Grammy gra- grab me at some point but thanks for doing it man appreciate
3: it ethan we really i really appreciate it and uh good talking to you stay safe and i'll talk with you soon